Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Medic Diaries. My name is Dr. Yvonne Maudor and I'm really glad you're able to join me for this episode today. Um, in case you are not aware of what Medic Diaries is, this is a podcast which basically talks about the daily medical issues that we face and how we can have a clearer perspective about it and how we can be able to basically deal with these issues that we have. Now, I have to state that this episode took a while for it to be released. Um, I need to apologize for that. First off, it seems like the podcast gods were just not in my favor. And I just kept having so many technical difficulties. But hey, we're finally here, right? So let's get right into this episode for the day. Okay, so I'm assuming we all sleep at one point or the other in this 24 hours that we have in a day, right? Well, let me ask, how do you feel after you've woken up? Do you feel really rested and energized, ready to conquer the day? Or do you feel really tired, groggy, and keep pressing the snooze button as much as possible as you can? I, I am guilty of this a couple of times also. Or you're those other people who just don't really care. You just wake up and you get about your day, whether you've rested or not. Well, let's pause for a minute. Today, I want us to talk about sleep, you know? It's not something which we dwell on so much because we feel like it's just part of our lives. But how many hours of sleep do you actually need to get? And when you do have that sleep, is it restful or is it agitated? Are there any things which can actually affect how you sleep? And are there any practices or things that you can do to make sure that you sleep better? That is what we're gonna talk about in this episode today. And I'm quite excited about this because I struggle with sleep as well. Just getting restful sleep. And I know a couple of people who also do the same. So I hope you enjoy this episode and let's dive right in. Okay? So we do know infants or babies that is sleep a lot. I mean, as adults, we always want to go back to the days where we could have afternoon naps. But do you know how long they're actually meant to sleep? For infants who are 0 to 3 months. They need approximately 14 to 17 hours of sleep a day, as opposed to the 4 to 11 months who need just a bit less, 12 to 15 hours a day. Toddlers, that is age between 1 to 2 years of age, um, need 11 to 14 hours. And our preschoolers need who are between the age of 3 to 5 years need about 10 to 13 hours six years all the way to uh, 17 years of age then they need approximately nine to ten hours of sleep a day yes i know teenagers that's what you actually need and then there's the adults us whereby we need at least seven to nine hours i say all of this because we need to know the basics if you are not sleeping well then you're usually going to predispose yourself to a lot of issues in the future Older adults, that is from the age of 65 and above, need approximately 7 to 8 hours of sleep each day. But we have to understand in special cases, for example, pregnant women, especially in their last trimester, need more sleep, but it varies. So it depends on how the, the, the lady cycle is. So you may ask, 
um, why are you talking about all these hours um, of sleep? Why? 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 Well, just like the way when you owe money to someone, you have to pay back your debt. It's the same concept when it comes to sleep. If you are not able to fulfill the number of hours required for your body according to your age in terms of sleep, then you have something called a sleep debt, right? So you will have to repay that debt one way or, or another. And if you don't, then your body reacts in some way uh, to just basically give you a signal of, sir, madam, you need to go to sleep, right? Okay. Now, there are different stages of sleep. Please roll with me here i want to explain this bit so that you're able to understand why there are some things which happen to you when you're sleeping so stages of sleep there is the longer stage hmm. which is the non-rem sleep uh the rem stands for rapid eye movement and then there's the rem sleep which is shorter um so you have those two so the non-rem sleep basically starts off by you having light sleep so you get your, your body starts to relax a bit, your, your tissues start to really calm down, you're not feeling as tense, your blood pressure is going down a bit, you're feeling more relaxed, and you doze off. So that's the beginning of it, right? Of the light sleep. And that's about 10 to 25 minutes that it takes. Then you go deeper into the stage of non-REM sleep. So it's like deeper sleep. It's a bit harder to wake you up at this time. So all this is lasting uh, for a few hour, a few minutes to hours, and then you get into the REM sleep, which lasts for about um 90-ish minutes. So for the REM sleep, what happens is after you fall into the deep sleep, this is where your brain activity really increases. So your eyes start darting quickly as much as they are closed and your blood pressure starts to increase a bit, your breathing starts to increase a bit. This is the stage where you dream. So at the light sleep, you may not dream immediately, but as you go to the REM sleep, then the dreaming comes about. And REM sleep is important for you, ladies and gentlemen, because it helps with learning and memory. Because like I said, that's where the brain activity increases. So all the information that you took during the day, whether it was in school, whether it was at work, whether whatever it is you had interacted during the day is now being processed, so to speak, into your long-term memory. So that when you wake up the next day, you're like, oh shoot, I didn't do this work. Oh, I need to go to this place. And you remember why you needed to do that. That's during the REM sleep. The non-REM sleep is for your body tissues to repair itself, healing. For kids, for example, growth, like the growth spurt that they go to and development and also boosting your immunity. And then finally, all that will it amounts to giving you a burst of energy <laughs> the next day. So yet again, I ask when you wake up, do you feel energetic? Do you feel like you can conquer the day? If you miss out on some of these steps, then it cuts off the, your productivity for the next day. So this cycle goes on and on. It's non-REM comes and REM. So it goes cyclically like that. I hope you're flowing with me, right? Okay. So if you do decide to 
have a lifestyle of sleep debt unfortunately that's life uh, a lot of things come our way my my work included exposes me to sleep debt a lot so what are some of the signs of chronic sleep deprivation you are going to expect i'm sure you guys know all this already but feeling drowsy and sleepy during the day and then falling asleep within like five minutes of you like laying down meaning like the body is waiting for you just go sleep already so that we can move on with life and then having um you snoozing a lot you being very groggy if it's become so bad your mood just keeps fluctuating keeps changing if it gets even worse you become very forgetful you have difficulty in performing tasks or if you are doing the task you actually fall asleep during the task right or you're sleeping more days these are signs of chronic sleep deprivation yes i'm aware life comes in the way so we all have some of these once in a while but it should not be to the extent that that is now your lifestyle if you get where i mean okay so you realize that okay so you realize that you do have a sleep debt fine if you do know what is causing your sleep debt then you can definitely correct it but I want us to talk a bit about some of the sleep disorders that we are plagued with and we are not aware of some of them we some of them we are aware of so that you know how to deal with them in the best way possible all right okay so the first sleep disorder that we're going to talk about so common almost everyone knows it or has heard of it insomnia yes yes everyone is saying i have insomnia i need to know how to deal with it well in case you do not know what it is it's basically char characterized by recurrent difficulty to fall asleep or to remain asleep despite the motivation and the means of you to do so meaning you do want to sleep but you can't or you do fall asleep but you end up waking up quite a lot of times right so there are so many types of it but i'm just going to talk about the, the common ones which plague us so and then we'll talk about how um to deal with it or manage it the best way possible again i need to give a disclaimer here i am not a sleep specialist so all the information i'm giving all the information i'm giving you is via research and other resources that i got so i will still not be able to replace the consultation of a sleep specialist as we will come to see in some of these disorders so um there are a few categories when it comes to insomnia there is sleep onset insomnia sleep maintenance insomnia and then there's a the mixed version of the two hmm. so the onset one as the name depicts is basically you having difficulty falling asleep despite you being extremely tired okay as opposed to the maintenance, which basically refers to you having difficulty staying asleep despite you falling asleep earlier. So with the, the onset, the sleep in onset insomnia, the most typical example is you just being jet lagged. You had a very long flight. You've been through many time zones and now you're back to your regular environment. So you're struggling to find your sleep again. That's okay. Uh, another cause of it would be having haphazard schedules, like you're going for different shifts. So 
my my job for example actually is a very good one in the sense that you have your night shift then you have your then you have your day then you have your night again so that's the sleep onset insomnia then the sleep maintenance insomnia which we mentioned and this one is more to do with substances and when i say substances i mean things like alcohol taking caffeine so energy drinks coffee tea which i is like my greatest weakness <laughs> and then smoking as well so then let's just basically lead that to now like the causes because insomnia can be caused by substances which have been consumed contrary to popular belief alcohol yes will help you sleep but it turns initially that is but it turns into a stimulant as you have fallen asleep so the likelihood of you waking up again is quite high when it comes to alcohol this is not the case for everyone i am aware but that is the explanation behind the fact that it can cause the maintenance sleep disorders so you may sleep throughout but you will not feel as rested the common ones caffeine anything to do with caffeine is basically meant to keep you awake if you do take it less than six hours prior to you sleeping trust and believe that um you will probably wake up if your body is used to it and that does not work for you then fine that's okay other causes of insomnia are actually health problems um physical pain and discomfort are the major things when it comes to sleep problems because there's no way your leg for example is going to be in pain and you'll be able to fall asleep and actually have a restful sleep that just does not make sense or unless you alleviate the pain right yeah so again people who have to frequently go to the washroom unfortunately for my pregnant women or people who have enlarged prostates all things to do with the bladder being um, the bladder having pressure on it will cause you to keep waking up if you wake up then it means you have to go to the washroom pee come back it takes a while for you to sleep so that you'll have to basically tailor your schedule in a way that will not affect you waking up so much right there are some other disorders i'm going to talk about like um restless leg syndrome heart disease lung disease or just chronic pain in general are some of the things which can predispose you to you having um the sleep maintenance problems okay and then finally mental health we tend to always forget that mental health will always affect our sleep somehow depressed people people under a lot of pressure people who have anxiety disorder or having all those three together will for one way or the other affect the way you sleep or at least the quality of your sleep so if you have been diagnosed with any of those or you have been diagnosed with some sort of mental health disorder or behavioral disorder then you should pay attention to your sleep and probably um, employ ways that you can better your sleep I'm sure you all know this artist, Madonna, right? Lady Gaga. These are a few of the names of um, quote-unquote celebrities who suffer from deep-rooted insomnia. They've been quite vocal about their struggles and I just wanted you to know that you're not the only one who's probably dealing with this. And we can definitely try and how we can manage to the best of our abilities. Now, 
I'm sure you're aware of Winston Churchill, yes? The former Prime Minister for Britain. He, well, he was quite famous for the next um, sleep disorder that I'm going to talk about. What basically happens was he was famous for having a lot of naps during the day. I quote in fact, you must sleep sometimes between lunch and dinner. Take off your clothes and get into bed. You get two days in one end of quote. He said this. What am I talking about here? He suffered from something called narcolepsy. Wow. Mm -hmm. So narcolepsy is another sleep disorder which basically is characterized by excessive sleepiness, sleep paralysis, and even hallucinations sometimes. The thing which um, is very peculiar about this sleep disorder is some can have episodes of something called cataplexy. Cataplexy basically means that you have either partial or total loss of your muscle control. Like you're seated for one second and then your muscles just totally relax and you lose your composure. And this is usually triggered by strong emotions sometimes as silly things that's just laughter. So there are different types of it. There is narcolepsy with cataplexy and narcolepsy without cataplexy. I talk about this too for you to be able to identify the type you may probably have. Or if not you, then the people around you will be able to figure out what you have. So the one with cataplexy, as I basically ex explained, is that you're super sleepy and then you experience just sudden loss of your muscle controls in your face, your arms, your legs, your torso, right? Okay. So you just literally slump over and be unable to move as opposed to the one without the cataplexy where you just experience the extreme sleepiness. So the reason why narcolepsy comes about um, is basically the fact that there is a lack of a chemical in the person's brain and this chemical is meant to regulate your sleep cycle whereby it's meant to regulate when you wake up and when you sleep. So if you are lacking this chemical in your brain, then you are more likely to experience narcolepsy. You have to note that tumors and other infections in the brain can also predispose you to having this. As we go further in the podcast, I'm going to talk about some of the solutions you can employ on how to manage it. Okay, so if you just listen to that, that was the Daily Show's theme song um, with Trevor Noah. I'm sure you're aware of this show, right? Well, before Trevor Noah came about, there was another host, John Stewart. John Stewart had this next sleep disorder. And it's a bit funny and it's actually quite common. John Stewart referred to this thing as uh, his Jimmy legs. The condition is called restless leg syndrome. What? And what it all entails is that someone has an uncomfortable feeling in their legs when they are sleeping or trying to sleep. So it can range from being just itchy or you feel like there's something pulling or crawling along your legs. And the sensations become so overwhelming that you have the urge to move your legs and to stretch your legs or just to shake it. So that is what's called the restless leg syndrome. This obviously is going to disrupt your sleep. Why? Because you have to keep waking up 
to stretch or just massage your leg or whatever it is this is unfortunately very very common more in women than men and it's even worse as you grow older so the next time you are in bed with your partner and uh, they keep twitching their legs or they keep moving their legs so much or even worse their leg moves by its own please do not think they're being malicious to you because they could actually be suffering from this the cause of um, restless leg syndrome is actually unknown however it's associated with some medical issues or medical conditions that um, we are aware of late stage kidney disease for one having neuropathy um so neuropathy is a fancy word for basically saying your nerves your nerves are acting up and they are not working to its optimal common causes of neuropathy is diabetes diabetes Diabetics usually suffer from a lot of this um, neuropathy um, issues. So they would complain a lot about burning sensation in their legs or the crawling effect. And those are some of the things which keep them up. Other conditions such as Parkinson's disease and even multiple sclerosis are things which can contribute to restless leg syndrome. Okay, so we have to take note that there is a genetic component to this that is 40 to 90% of parents who have this restless leg syndrome may most likely pass it to at least one of their first generation relatives, that is um, their kids especially. There are triggers to this condition and it's usually the, the three musketeers, alcohol, caffeine, and nicotine. Yep. Um, so if you cut down on all three, there's a likelihood that there may be some, some improvement. Again, we will deal with all the solutions, um, later in the pod about this. When you were younger and you were watching cartoons and, um, a character had a, an idea, do you remember seeing that light bulb on top of their head? Well, Thomas Edison, American inventor of devices in uh, light bulbs and all things to do with electricity and power, right? Edison, along with the likes of Leonardo da Vinci and Nikola Tesla, all employed this next um, sleep disorder I'm going to talk about. What they did was, instead of them sleeping at least and say a full good seven hours they divided their sleep into fewer fewer bits throughout the 24 hours in order for them to be more productive in their work all right this this pattern of sleep is called polyphasic sleep we usually are monophasic sleep where so monophasic sleep is you rest in a one long chunk polyphasic sleepers however will take short 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 bursts of sleep throughout the day instead of sleeping I do understand that in life, there are things which come our ways and uh, will definitely disrupt our sleep. So people who would employ this uh, type of sleeping would probably be people who are traveling or have a, sh- a layover so they would sleep a bit and then be up and about. Or students who, example, medical students who are studying for exams and um, are trying to fit everything as much as possible so that they can finish and uh, pass their exams good for you but you understand that these people always pay their sleep debt so it's not a lifestyle that is the difference 
right so for these polyphasic sleepers this is their lifestyle there are very few benefits that are noted of this thing if you can pace yourself very well and still be able to manage to have a restful sleep then good on you but the side effects usually and the risk outweigh the benefits in my opinion because having irregular sleep schedules disrupt your sleep cycle majorly and this contributes to even more chronic sleep deprivation risks right so you end up developing anxiety high blood pressure depression maybe even diabetes heart disease obesity and obstructive sleep apnea which we will mention in a few minutes i talk about these to try and basically tell you that as much as it has its benefits you have to be very very cautious of how you employ this polyphasic sleep if you are the type to actually do so so it would be more of if you're going to have a polyphasic sleep then have for example let's have um the eight hours per per night sleep that you're meant to have you can split it up in such a way that you can have maybe a six hour session of sleep at night and then consists of during the day um two one hour naps that seems more restful as opposed to sleeping 30 minutes work 30 minutes work 30 minutes yet again that will not be able to help your sleep cycle and as we talked about the REM and non-REM stages you'll now try to you'll now see the bigger picture that you will not be getting the utmost rest all right if you've been sleeping throughout the rest of the episode which i doubt i would employ you to at least listen to this one because it's a bit of an emergency sleep apnea and i had just mentioned it earlier um is a condition where you have abnormal breathing during your sleep so me stating that alone just means we have a problem here because of this you have multiple extended pauses of breath while you're sleeping it gives you very low quality sleep because your body is being deprived of oxygen right because you're not able to breathe well and there are multiple consequences health consequences um which come about because of sleep apnea right so there are different types of it but the ones which are pretty common are obstructive sleep apnea and central sleep apnea and then there's the mixed version I'm going to go into a bit of details of this so that you know why it comes about. Obstructive sleep apnea is basically you having your airway, which is at the back of your throat, right? Physically blocked. So there can be any physicality. It could be anatomical changes like your, your, how you were built, or um, it could be obesity. It could be then central sleep apnea is you having a problem in your brain system which will cause your muscles for breathing to be very relaxed and in the long process basically makes your your breathing slower and shallower so please understand the two okay um it affects about two to nine percent of adults all around and uh, it actually affects men more than women but progresses more as you age. So when I say as you age, while well, you're older than the age of 40, 
things start to change a bit more so what are the symptoms what is it that is going to point out that we're dealing with um obstructive or we're dealing generally with sleep apnea one as you are sleeping your breathing becomes more labored with time or it can be so bad that you literally stop breathing for a whole minute the person who's sleeping by you will notice this more quickly than you will because you are in your deep sleep right then as you do wake up you have excessively long morning headaches and this is all because you've been exposed to very low levels of oxygen in your body that's how your body reacts to it the other thing is you may be very irritable and you'll have daytime sleepiness you'll have difficulty in concentrating in a lot of your things that you do like your day-to-day activities also when you wake up um, your partner may tell you that you are snoring look it's fine we all snore that is very normal physiologically but when it comes to sleep apnea they your partner will tell you that you snore very loud for long periods of time and you may be snoring and even it will involve you gasping or choking or snorting so those are the other things you need to be a bit more cautious about like you okay because everyone snores that, that that's a given but usually again the person who's next to you or sleeping by you is what's gonna um is the person going to inform you also when you wake up you may notice that your mouth is pretty dry ask me why 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 it's because you are mouth breathing so that you'll be able to uh get more oxygen or get more air for you to breathe while you are asleep okay so yes those are some of the things you should watch out for or at least ask your partner to check out for you if you happen to sleep alone why not record yourself i mean what's the worst that could happen just record yourself one day and see how it is what are the causes however of sleep apnea the ones which are pretty common is actually one obesity when you gain about 10 percent of your body weight it equates to you having a six-fold increase it equates to you having a six-fold increase and you having obstructive sleep apnea yeah it's that bad so you would ask me okay how does obesity really help me here i just need to lose a few pounds right no the thing with obesity is it contributes to your airway narrowing to the extent that you don't have the leeway to have a wider airway for you to breathe okay so that is why when someone is having difficulty in breathing whether they are awake or asleep the, the first thing the clinician may tell you is for you to lose weight because once you lose weight you realize your breathing actually gets better other things which can cause this obstructive sleep apnea is sedatives so sedatives could be medications which just help you to relax but it could also be alcohol i had mentioned earlier that alcohol is actually a sedative but also a stimulant so when you take it it relaxes the throat muscles so much that again it narrows the airway again reducing your oxygen levels coming in then another thing apart from obesity is 
your anatomical structures when i say anatomical structures i just mean how god made you right so some people may have really people have people have different sizes of necks jaws their tongue their tonsils and all these things can con all these things can contribute to the airway being narrowed so if you have very huge inflamed tonsils obviously the airway is, is definitely going to be blocked to some capacity there is a, f- a family history aspect of obstructive sleep apnea as well so you must take note of that other things such as uh, sleeping on your back really really contributes to obstructive sleep apnea because think of it this way when you sleep on your side there isn't a lot of pressure on your back of your throat the back of your throat is where the airway is right so when you sleep on your side the pressure is reduced however when you sleep flat and as we would call it supine on your back then there's a possibility of you putting a lot of pressure especially if you are more obese so there's a um possibility of putting pressure on the back of your throat which will now contribute to the closure of the airway right so these are a few of some of the causes of obstructive sleep apnea I think the most famous person that I know who has this condition is uh, Shaquille O'Neal. I, I hope I've pronounced his name correctly, but you know the basketballer. He is tall, well built, a whole athlete. So, like I said, it's not just about the obesity situation, and yet he still struggles from this a lot. The reason why I say uh, it's an emergency because it can predispose you to having heart conditions diabetes chronic uh, sleep deprivation so it actually is a really big deal just try and take note of your sleep a bit more if you suspect that you may have this again i have to state there's the difference between snoring and obstructive sleep um, apnea okay yes i'm aware i've talked a lot but this is the last one okay so the very last sleep disorder i want to talk about is what is referred to as parasomnias yeah these are the ones where you sleep walk sleep talk um bed wetting uh sleep sleep related eating disorders and this can be common in both adults and children uh the other ones which i I think i'll go into detail a bit about is the nightmares and night terrors now please understand me nightmares are troubling intense dreams that will cause a lot of anger anxiety and and fear it's very difficult for you to fall back asleep after it okay it occurs during the REM sleep you know the time where you're able to dream so most of the time you remember your nightmares night terrors however or sleep terrors uh, cause you to suddenly wake up in a terrified state terrors can last for 30 seconds to five minutes i am sure there i am sure there are people who can attest to this and who experience this it's usually associated with screaming crying fast heart rate sweating you're really really flushed note however this 
occurs in the non-REM sleep. So most likely you will not remember anything my, oh my, oh my. in relation to it. But you just wake up super terrified. I wanted to clarify this because when it comes to managing it, you have to probably see a, a sleep specialist about it. And the time for you to see it or when you feel like it is appropriate for you to see a sleep specialist is in regards to night terrors especially is when you have episodes occurring two or more times per week and then this episode can even result in injury you beating up someone next to you or hurting yourself or even like falling off the bed if it's that terrifying if these night terrors are also associated with sleepwalking or sleep talking, you have to see a specialist. And a person who has disrupted sleep during the day and has excessive sleepness, sleepiness, sorry, uh, which even impairs their functioning during the day, requires you to see a specialist. And finally, sleep terrors which began when you were an adolescent or just a young adult. Those are the indications for you to probably go and see a doctor about the night terrors because once in a while, I think almost everyone has it, but when it becomes that bad, like the ones the, the indications I've just mentioned, then most likely you will have to see a specialist. As for the other things, the sleepwalking, the sleep talking and all, um, it's, it's pretty hard to really manage them, but it's for you to more of change your lifestyle. Yes, your lifestyle is in a way to try and manage it. All these parasomnias are triggered by stress, anxiety, depression, PTSD, especially post-traumatic stress disorder. That is a very, very common cause substance abuse also there sleep deprivation you see and things such as parkinson's or having irregular sleep schedules like um, the one i talked about shift work all these things can lead to um this parasomnias if someone is having a sleep terror i know your natural um inclination is to wake them up if your partner is next to you is to wake them up studies have actually shown that if you attempt to wake them up then you end up prolonging the night terror for them because i said it lasts for about 30 seconds to a minute or two right so as painful as this is and you could try it out if it doesn't work fine but when that night terror is occurring how about not to wake them up let them get out of it because if you attempt to wake them up especially in children if you attempt to wake them up so that they can get out of it you may end up prolonging the night terror that they're having at that very time so that's just for food for thought i think i've exhausted the ones that i could talk about um i'm so happy you're still listening to me if you are if not it's okay it's all good you could always pause and come back later anyway let's get into the solutions right okay okay my lovely people um um i've, I've talked for a while i'm aware in case you're still listening to me applause to you and thank you so much for flowing with me this far 
I did not want to give you half-baked information and I wanted to really dwell on these factors prior to me giving you the solutions just because you need to be able to identify what exactly you're actually dealing with right so again applause to you so much okay now okay let's dive right into the remedies i wanted to now discuss on in regards to the sleep um disorder disorders that i mentioned earlier have you ever heard of sleep hygiene anything okay if this is your first time welcome so uh sleep hygiene sounds very unimaginative but it's basically the practices that you take so that you're able to have a better sleep it's as simple as that i'm starting with sleep hygiene because it helps all around with the other disorders that we're going to address so there are some simple practices that you can do which will help you in having a better sleep at night okay so okay so number one um disclaimer if you do hear some weird noises in the background just i apologize the podcast gods are not allowing me to have a nice recording day today anyway so let's get into the points number one which is pretty obvious avoid caffeine alcohol nicotine or any other substances chemical substances that is which interfere with your sleep it's kind of basic because i've already explained that these are all stimulants so just try and stay away from this stuff preferably four to six hours before bedtime so if you're gonna take your tea your coffee your chocolate your cocoa and all that try not to take them too 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 uh close to your bedtime like 30 minutes before your bedtime okay right then number two would be you just having a sleeping induced environment make your room or wherever you sleep so conducive for you that it helps you to relax and get into the sleeping mode things such as having actually a quiet dark cool environment shock will help you to promote a better slumber right why do we say this because just look at it bats for example sleep in caves during the night time because by doing so you're basically tricking your brain in a way that it's night time so having dark curtains uh even earplugs so that you don't get interacted by any noise or if your partner is snoring too much then you can put on your earplugs and uh, wearing uh, an eye mask or block out the light and in that way keeps signaling your brain yo we have to sleep we have to sleep so those are some of the things you can do and lo and behold ladies and gentlemen having a good mattress and pillows can do wonders for your sleep this sounds like a no-brainer but when was the last time you changed your mattress yes it's not everyone who can afford to change their mattress quickly but at least invest in a good pillow so that when you're resting your head at least you're able to get some comfort the whole point is for your body not to be in pain after you wake up right and a third point as a follow-up is to basically use the light to your advantage whereby it promotes your internal clock when i mean what i mean by internal clock is if you usually sleep at 8 p.m and wake up by 6 p.m trying to not change that pattern will obviously help you more have a restful sleep as opposed to you sleeping at 8 
and then the next time it's 11 then the next time it's 7 so it keeps changing I, I understand again life gets in the way but I'm trying to give you the most idealistic pattern that I can right um, trying to just engage with our internal clock really really helps with a consistent sleep schedule and hence you having better sleep hygiene so our fourth point yes you have a conducive room for you to sleep that's great marvelous do you have a pre-sleep routine however some people take long baths um, others read books others practice stretches um, such as uh, or yoga type stretches uh, or relaxing exercises or watch TV but like in a minimal volume for them to get in the mood of sleeping whatever works for you because everyone is unique is the point that you need to identify what helps you to get into your sleep yes so by doing so it's able to help your body relax and the stress hormone cortisol which is usually produced in when you're stimulated does not keep you awake so my fellow people the ones who love to chat on whatsapp or check instagram and have screen time with their phone quite a lot it is advised for you that at least minimum of 30 minutes or, or more should be taken before you sleep what i mean by that is you should not be having access to your phone buzzing uh, you checking your screen or watching something while it's meant to be dark in your room whatsoever because that will keep signaling your brain that oh okay we have to be alert oh we have to keep awake so that beats the purpose of you having a restful sleep so i mean i'm a culprit of this as well i, I really am a, a culprit of this screen time situation but i'm trying to better myself and uh, have a better pre-sleep schedule I do not know if this will work for you but personally what works for me is I listen to podcasts wow shocker I listen to podcasts which are very soothing and that helps me to sleep really well if that is something which would work for you you can give it a try you never know another thing as our point five ladies and gentlemen please go to sleep when you're actually tired it sounds like a no-brainer yet again but going to bed when you are not sleepy is the most frustrating thing ever and will trigger you to be even more stimulated and more alert than you usually should be so if you for some reason cannot sleep and you're in bed it's okay just get up go read something or make sure you have a lamp which has low light a dim light preferably not something very bright so that it gets you in the mood you can read a book you can listen to a, a podcast or music and that would actually help you to uh, have some sleep so but if you are tired please do not fight the sleep to watch that last episode of your show just go to bed okay so we have established what we shouldn't eat because it may cause indigestion and get us stimulated we have established how we should have our environment and how to have a good soothing pre-sleeping routine and we've learned that when you're tired just go to sleep okay the other point i would like to mention point six is ladies and gentlemen 
those people who like to look at the clock when they are sleeping can you stop it sounds yet again like a no-brainer but staring at the clock in your bedroom while you cannot sleep will not help you to actually sleep you may think it does but it probably it actually just tricks your mind yet again that you should be alert the point of sleep hygiene is for you not to be alert anymore but to actually gradually relax yourself into sleep that is the point of it all right so hence you looking at your clock all the time in the middle of the night maybe you would want to remove it and move it to another side that would also really really help and then another thing point seven try and balance out your fluid intake what i mean by this is have you ever gone to bed and woken up in the middle of the night because you were so 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 thirsty or the opposite you've woken up in the middle of the night because you just have to go to the washroom yes so you know your limits you know i can take at least two glasses before i sleep and i would not wake up others will take literally half a glass and would wake up to go pee if you know yourself very well then or at least and study yourself a bit more and know your patterns so that you'll be able to have a balance of your fluid intake it would really help in not interrupting your sleep as much right okay the last one to follow through with your sleep disorders which is what we're going to talk about next if you are diagnosed with a sleep disorder or you suspect a sleep disorder first off please visit your doctor yes i know dr yvonne is giving you some information right now but it does not equate and again i say it does not equate to the you actually seeing a sleep um doctor or someone who's qualified in this field right so follow up with your your doctor in case of all the medical issues that you may be dealing with so so earlier in the podcast we talked about a few sleep disorders such as insomnia sleep apnea the parasomnias restless leg syndrome the whole works in regards to insomnia things that i've mentioned in regards to sleep hygiene are the best ways to go about it truly if it's still not helping i would then advise for you to probably see a sleep doctor for you to really understand what exactly is causing the insomnia for you okay in regards to sleep apnea however and we had just talked about how that it can be a bit dangerous because you're having poor sleep because of your abnormal breathing again one of the things we had mentioned is uh obesity as one of its triggers sedatives as well try and labor in regards to the sedatives and um sedatives such as the alcohol that i mentioned but one of the major ways you could help in regards to sleep apnea is losing weight because of the obvious that i had talked about by losing weight you're able to reduce the risk of you having sleep apnea also your sleeping position again if you find that you sleep supine that is lying on your back it may not help you too much with your breathing so why don't you try other positions which are a bit more comfortable right such as sleeping on the side yes so by doing so you'll be able to probably have a bit more air for you to breathe through if you find that that position is uncomfortable you could always support with some extra pillows right patients who have um conditions such as heart failure that is 
your heart isn't pumping as well and you have fluid accumulating in your body they have a lot of difficulty when it comes to breathing and they have some form of sleep apnea going on they for example can sleep on their back all right however they have to be supported with a lot of pillows so they are sleeping at an inclination the reason why i am explaining this is because you could also try it for yourself to sleep at an inclination whereby you have up about one or two pillows or even three if it's that severe for you to see if you'll have better relief when it comes to your sleeping but again just listening to the podcast will not help you alone you have to visit your doctor for you to get proper diagnosis first that it's sleep apnea and then secondly what would be their managers management and their recommendations all right if push comes to shove and things are really really bad there are some people who would have to get um something called a CPAP and another one called a bike. What it stands for is continuous positive air pressure. It's basically like pushing a lot of air through your airway so that it keeps it open for you. That So in, in, in essence that there's more air coming into your airway for you to breathe better. Yes guys, so at least in regards to sleep apnea, these are stuff you should watch out for and try and manage it as much as you can narcolepsy the sleeping and the sleeping well in regards to narcolepsy there isn't really a cure to it unfortunately there are behavioral changes and there may be other um, modifications that you could do to improve it but the first thing that i would advise you is to explain narcolepsy to your significant others your family your friends your co-workers um schoolmates depending on how old you are and whatever it is you are the environment that you are in you have to understand that educating them would really really help you in the long run as well uh, to reduce the stress then being flexible with your social engagements and your plans has to be one of the lifestyle changes you have to make it's not all the time that you're going to be able to go out um, because it's going to affect your sleep massively then taking short naps during the day hey if winston churchill could do it and he could still be the prime minister for britain i am sure you can do it taking short naps during the day while programming your time and your schedule would be able to help you a lot to feel more alert right and then understand your triggers because everyone's trigger is different but once you understand those triggers then you know what to avoid and pay attention to whatever medication which makes your narcolepsy much much worse so managing narcolepsy at school can be a bit difficult so it has to be a partnership between the teachers and the parents and the person who actually has uh, the narcolepsy so the major thing is the teachers have to be educated on this this may sound a bit hard but at least give it a chance explain to them that you know what my child goes through this and this and this and uh, we we actually have a medical report about it and we need your help as well so you can form an arrangement with maybe like the school nurse for your child to be having some sort of um, short naps or when they have some triggers they'll know where to go basically to just have a plan in place so that when the triggers occur or the episodes of the narcolepsy occur that 
no one is really shocked but obviously some of the symptoms of narcolepsy such as for children in school is one just having poor grades and sleeping in school a lot and not being able to complete homework or assignments and those are the things you should watch out for especially when it comes to children and with time the kids will also develop self-awareness to know okay this is where when i'm when i'm falling asleep this much i know i need to get up i need to go to the washroom i need to go do something else so that i'm able to stay alert or i need to go do I need to actually have my nap. Okay, so managing narcolepsy at work can also be a bit tricky. But again, explaining it to your co-workers, your supervisors, and the human resource department about your diagnosis with a medical report would really, really, really help you here so that no one turns it against you. So again, you have to develop your strategies and whatnot. And then lastly, driving or handling machinery, heavy machinery, and things which can actually harm you when you sleep you have to be very cautious of that if you can avoid driving altogether fine if you cannot avoid it then you must realize that there's some triggers that you need to pay attention to that's the same with working with machinery by just having self-awareness it prevents you from having a lot of accidents and then lastly restless leg syndrome again Sleep hygiene is really, really going to be helpful here because the point is to try and reduce the number of triggers as possible. Um, people who have neuropathies, again, like I said, diabetes, for example, taking your medication, having good control of your blood sugars would really, really help slow down one, the neuropathy and not have so much complications going on. Um, you are also advised to exercise and by exercise is like the stretches that i mentioned earlier because inactivity actually triggers the restless leg syndrome whereby the statistics that show there's a reduction of about 39 percent of the symptoms by you just exercising because why it creates enough blood flow to your legs right so if you can do that then that would be great and another thing that you could do is to have um, devices which help with blood flow especially to the legs um, compression stockings for example or new pneumatic pressure therapy if you can afford that um, and just having just having massages and hot baths things which will increase the blood flow uh, to your legs in order for you not to have that sensation of the crawling and whatnot so yeah those are some of the recommendations i would have again thank you so much for listening to this episode i know it's quite lengthy but i feel like it's necessary for us to know how to manage our sleep for us to be happier in life you know so without much further ado let's go into a fun fact for the day okay so um a fun fact for the day is uh did you guys actually know that a giraffe only sleeps for 1.9 hours a day as opposed to a bat which sleeps 19 hours 0.9 hours a day it just goes to show we're all different we are all different creatures and you just have to accept that and another one is the record for the longest period with without sleep 
is 11 days i would advise no one to take that route but hey clearly someone did and they survived we are grateful anyway guys i am so 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 grateful and happy you were able to come to the end of this episode with me and you listened all again it was a lengthy one but we need our information as usual anyway i adore you all and i hope to hear from you soon have a lovely day bye